I think there is a nursery today, and so if you would choose to use that, you may be feel free to do so. For the rest of us, let's turn to, to Genesis, Genesis chapter 12. We have been, over the past um, few weeks of this year, been considering the subject of Christ. Um, more specifically right now, looking at the shadow of Christ, we know that when Jesus came into the world, though it was partially a mystery, God had given clues to his coming. And, um, and so it shouldn't have been utterly something that took those who were of Jesus' day by total shock. And so over the past few weeks, we have been considering the shadow of Christ. Um, the whole concept here, focusing on a Christ. When we're done with the shadow of Christ, we're going to look at the life of Christ and the ministry of Christ, spending the year, predominant time of the year looking at Christ. But we've spent a couple weeks ago looking at Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, and we saw the Lord of the Sabbath and the Lord of creation, how Jesus was the Lord of Shabbat, and he was the Lord of creation, that he had designed us to be productive, designed us to work, but also has a desire for us to, to rest in the the critical part of that is that he's God. It showed his deity. That, that when he said that he was the Lord of the Sabbath, that Yahweh was the, the Lord of the Sabbath. And so Jesus declared himself to be Yahweh. And as the Yahweh of Shabbat, the Yahweh of the Sabbath, he really is then the Yahweh of, of creation. He's the God of creation. And so we see that Jesus declares his deity there. And then we moved on into Genesis chapter 3 the following week. And we saw in the midst of the, the fall of man, the, the the, the cause of sin, the, 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 the consequence of the sin, and the cure of sin, that in all that, he had the curses as well, and in the curse that was to the woman, that there was this part where it says that the, it would be the seed of a woman, and that there would be the, the seed of the, um, of the serpent, and that the serpent seed would, would be nipping at the heel of the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman would crush or would bruise the head of that of the, the serpent. And so we saw then coming out of that that Jesus himself, the Messiah who was to come, um, was would be the seed of woman. And this clearly revealed that when Christ would come, not only is he God in the flesh, he's God in the flesh. Does it make sense? He's not only true God, he's also true man. He would be born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Last week, we looked at Job, and we looked at the, the afflictions of Job, and the faith of Job, in the midst of all those afflictions, and, and the fact that Job's faith was built upon the foundation of what he believed, what he knew about God, and that God he knew was sovereign, that when all those afflictions and trials and tribulations and temptations, sores and everything else that came upon him, he knew that ultimately God was behind it all, not that he caused it all, but that he allowed it all. And so he said, should we receive all these blessings from the hand of the Lord and then and, and not receive the afflictions? And he told his wife, when his wife said, just curse God and die, he says, you're talking like one of the foolish women. Don't, don't, don't talk like that. Don't talk like that. Remember who God is. Remember our faith in God. So he knew God was, was sovereign, but he also knew that God was, God was faithful. And we talked about the faithfulness of God and the fact that God will never allow us to be tempted, tried, um, the word there, periasmoi, meaning a troublesome situation. He would never allow us to undergo a troublesome situation that he didn't know that we could handle. But that even if we felt like we couldn't handle it, 
that he would give us a, a jumping spot. I referred to the, to the illustration of hyperspace. I've already referred, got it from a couple people this week that they remembered that illustration. That's kind of awesome. That's good. So remember, God's got a hyperspace button for you. Okay? He thinks you don't need it. He thinks that you can deal with all those asteroids coming in on you, that you can, you can pulverize them and you can deal with them. But even if you don't feel like you can deal with them, you can hit the button. God says there's a way out. If you're angry with your kids, we talked about that after the fact. Someone asked a question, what, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, that means if you're angry with your spouse, you're angry with your kids, there's always the other room to go to. Yeah? If you're, if you're being struggling with the lust of flesh, there's always some place that you can go. You don't have to stay there. Get in the car and take off. Go to somebody else's house. Pick up the phone. Say to somebody, I'm struggling right now. I can't deal with it. So you can take it into your own realm, whether it's gossip, whether it's, it's lust of the flesh, whether it's lust of the eyes, whether it's pride of life, whatever it is, you can... God always gives you a way out. And the second thing we know about God's faithfulness and that is that when he does allow those troublesome situations in my life, it's for my good. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. I may not get it. I may never get it in this, in this life. And he may never even tell me when I get to the other side. But one thing I do know is that God is faithful, and when he allows the trial into my life, there's a reason. And if I allow it, it is for good. Again, it goes back to me. How am I going to respond to the troublesome situation? If I respond negatively, if it reveals sin in me, okay, then there's something I need to deal with. That was a temptation. Remember, we talked about that coin, two sides of that periosmos, that troublesome situation. If I don't respond to it well, then it's the temptation and it reveals sin in me. If I respond properly to it, then it was a trial and it revealed my faith and it increased my faith and it grew my faith. Okay? And that's where James 1 comes in. So, but in the midst of all that, in the midst of all the haranguing from his friends and, and condemning him and, and all this kind of stuff, Job, in the midst of all that, says this one thing I know. I, I want to I see him face to face. I want to give an account to him. But this thing I know, that I know my Redeemer lives. And I will see him face to face. After my body, and this is what is really exciting here. He says, after my body is destroyed, after it's decayed, in other words, after I die, my body's in the ground, and it's decayed. It's rotted. So he understood the reason he was going to die. He understood that his body wasn't going to continue on. He says, after all that happens, I know that I will be given a new body. Because I'm going to see him in my flesh. If he's going to see him in his flesh, what does it mean? He's got another body. He understood the what? The resurrection. He understood the rapture. What we refer to as the, the rapture or the harpazo of the church. We underst- he understood that the dead in Christ or the dead in God, however much he understood in that whole concept of Messiah, because he understood that, that Yahweh, God was his redeemer, who he was going to see face to face, which we know from the otherwise that Jesus is God. Okay? So how much of all the concepts and coming through David and everything, all that stuff he knew, I don't know. But he understood that God was going to come and God was going to redeem. God was going to buy him back. And he was going to see God face to face in the flesh. Flesh to flesh, he was going to see God. That's an awesome statement from somebody who lived during the days of Noah. After the flood, after the flood, during the days of Noah and Abraham, this is what Job declared. Now, that's before any of the Bible was written. He didn't have the Word of God to stand on. He had the testimony of God to stand on, which was passed down to him through Noah, And which one of the sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth, I'm not sure, maybe Shem, I'm not quite sure which one of them passed it down, but he got it, and Job embraced it. And it changed the way he looked at the afflictions that were upon him. 
today we want to move on now to, again, what I believe is a contemporary, potentially, of Job, at least at some point. I'm not sure how long Job lived. We're never told that. But I do know that Job lived during that days of Noah and Avram, um, who we refer to as Abraham because Avram's name was changed to Avrahim. One thing that's really interesting, and this is an aside, um, most of you know my undergraduate work in mathematics and computer science, and I love math. And so I did a chronology of the Bible, of the Old Testament. It's a fun thing. I would encourage you to do that, especially if you have any inclination toward math and numbers at all. God, I mean, God is the, the God who created all that, okay? God is a God of order, and there's, math is in everything, so you just can't avoid it. I, I remember tutoring in math and kids saying, well, I'm not, I don't need math because I'm going to do such and such. I said, really? Math is in everything. You can't get away from things without, you know, with there being math. Here's the interesting thing I want to point to you. In my, in my chronology, I have Noah dying around the year 2000 in Omundi, and I have Avram being called from the land of Ur around the year 2006 in Omundi. That's about six years apart. That's a good fudge factor after 2,000 years. So here's, here's, my, here's my hypothesis. I can't say it's a thesis because I can't prove it otherwise, right? But this is my, my hunch. And maybe when I get there, I'll find this out. But probably when I get there, it won't matter. But anyways, I think that Avram was called from the land of Ur right after Noah died. Which is really interesting because we're not going to talk about Noah at this phase. We may get into Noah when we talk about the return of Christ. Because he says it's in the days of Noah, so it will be in the return of Christ. So we'll probably talk about Noah a little bit when we get to the return of Christ. But does anybody know when Melchizedek, uh, not Melchizedek, I'm sorry, um, Methuselah died? The year of the flood. He didn't die in the flood, he died the year of the flood. His, his name literally means after, after he's gone, it'll come. Melchizedek, I, so the question is, did, did God kill, take out, take to himself, whatever, allow Melchizedek, not Melchizedek, I'm sorry, Methuselah to die because so, he knew the flood was coming, or did he wait, hold off the flood until Methuselah died? Isn't that fun to think about, huh? I mean, it was a, it was a godly line. Methuselah was the grandson of Enoch. Enoch, he was the grandfather of Noah. And so you had Methuselah, then you had Lamech. Lamech lived to 777 years, 777. You know, 666 is the number of, of man, 777 would be the number of perfection then. Anyways, so Lamech lived that, and then there was Noah. I told you it was inside, but isn't that fun stuff? That's all math, okay? That's all math stuff. And you're sitting there going, yeah, that was boring. Anyways, <laughs> I think it's great. I love it. I mean, I, you know, just, you get into it, and you're not going to do it unless you get into all those genealogies and start writing them down. And that's why God put those there. After so long, they had this son, and after that, he lived this long. That's why it's there, so you know how long they were living, and, and you can do some kind of chronology that's there. Anyways, so, fun stuff. So we know that Abraham then, here's, here's my point, Abraham, if that's true, if my chronologies are, are accurate, and I think they are, uh, uh, Bishop Ushri had a, a chronology as well, and it was very similar to mine as well. Um, Abraham actually lived while Noah was alive. Isn't that something to think about? Shem actually lived. There are some people who actually think that Melchizedek, and we'll talk about Melchizedek, I think, next week. Um, some actually think that Melchizedek was Shem. I don't know if I hold that or not. But, you know, it didn't matter. But Shem was still living during the days of Isaac. Now, isn't that something to think about? You know, you had Noah living on the earth during the time of the Tower of Babel. People were rejecting the faith of that, that old man. Now, what did he know? He's teased down the story about this, this, this boat. 
You know, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? But here we have Abraham. Now, Abraham is living around the land of Ur. Now, we, Job, it's referred to as Uz, potentially the same area, okay? And we're, we're told about Abraham is living in the land of Ur, that he was called out of that land to go someplace. And so in Genesis chapter 12 is where we see that, and I want to begin reading there. We read Galatians, part of Galatians 3, which we'll be referring to in a little bit um, for our Bible reading. But in Genesis 12, we're going to read just the first couple of verses. It says, Now Yahweh had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram said, Lord, you don't understand. I've got a home here. I've got a job. Our families are all here, and, and I'm not quite sure right now. In fact, Lord, you know I'm 75, and so I'm, I'm a little bit old to, to go forth and to, to leave these things. Right? That's what Abraham said, right? No. We read in verse 4, So Abram departed as Yahweh had spoken to him. Now, this is incredible, because the first thing we want to look at with Abram is his faith. Okay? Which is going to be really increased as we go here. But the first thing we want to look at is Avram, Abraham, leaving his, his country. He wasn't called to go from Augusta to Thompson. He wasn't called to go from Augusta to Atlanta. I mean, now understand, that's, not, no, that's a no biggie for us. Some of you love the Braves so much, I don't know why, but you would drive all the way to Atlanta to go see them. Now, I go when somebody else is buying my tickets, okay? Because just for the experience, have fun, fellowship, and all that kind of stuff. I'm not quite sure I want to spend the money to go to see a Sandlot team. I'm joking, okay? Okay. Um, <laughs> Anyways, how to make enemies. Um, anyways, but, but we go in a car, and we know we're going to go because it's only going to take us what? Two hours, depending on how you drive. Some of you may take an hour and a half. Anyways, so, but approximately two hours to get there, okay? For Abram to leave the land of Ur, you can see the map up here, okay? That red, red line as you're going, okay? Coming all the way across. He didn't come across the desert. You don't cross the desert when you were camels and stuff like that. They had to go all the way, northwest, come across, and then back down. That was a journey by foot, by camel, by donkey. They didn't get on the Bahrain Airlines. You know, they, they didn't get on U.S. Air. They traveled by foot. And so basically, God's saying to them, I want you to go to a land that I'm not going to tell you where you're going. When you finally get there, I'll let you know. What about you? What if God said to you, maybe he has, I want you to serve me, but I'm not going to tell you the end of the path right now. I, I need you. I want you to get off your duff and just start moving on that path. Here's the first step. What would you say? I know Bob. I know, I know, I'm standing here behind the pulpit, okay? But Bob still liked you a lot. I still want to know the end of the path. I, I still, how many whys are there, Lord? You know, how many turns am I going to make? You know, was there a, like a severe right-hand turn that, I mean, meaning that there's a real change in direction of my life, you know? What, what's going to happen? Well, I know that God is pretty consistent in how he moves in my life. And there came a point in my life, soon after I was saved, when I believed God said to me, I want you to get up and go. 
I want you to leave. And Marcia and I had to make a decision whether we're willing to do that. Clearly, when we first felt called into the ministry, we thought we were going to plant churches in the Northeast. I am not in the Northeast. <laughs> Praise God, the Northeast right now is bitterly cold, even more bitterly cold than it is here. This is bitterly cold for us, but it is not like it is up in the Northeast, and they got a whole lot more snow right now. In seminary, I thought I might be going to Papua New Guinea. And then I thought I was going to plant a church in Canada. That's even further north, huh? In fact, so much so that we went there and, and did scouting trips to, 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 to get the um, demographics and, and, the, and the maps of the city so we could plot what, what area um, of the city we were going to go to, to to try to start Bible studies in. We had a church that was going to take us and we were going to become an assistant pastor. That would get us into Canada, because you can't just go to Canada and do things. You have to have a, a, a plot. So we thought that's where the Lord was leading us. But the Lord was just using those as tools to get us where he wanted us ultimately to be. Here. Augusta, Georgia. Anyways, so we're in Augusta, okay? We're in Augusta. Come in Augusta in 83, with the military came back in 1991, and we're here. Even after we resigned from the previous church and I was seeking the Lord's face, God reminded me that he sent me to Augusta. Now, I don't say all that to laud me and lift me up. I can tell you, there's a lot of times I still struggle with where I'm going, where the path is leading. And Bob has a lot of desires of what Bob wants to do. And Bob has to submit to the Lord many times over. But is there a calling in your life that God has said to you, and I'll put Bob in there, Bob, get up. I want you to leave your home. And I want you to go to the place that I will eventually show you. But what I'm asking you to do right now is get up and go and start the process. I'm not into manipulative please the Holy Spirit does that on his own but I do believe the Holy Spirit still does that and one thing I do know is that a country that used to be the leader in sending off emissaries of Christ throughout the world now has more missionaries coming into it that they send out and I believe it's because quote unquote Christians love the world love money, the things that money buys, mammon, more than they love God. And when God calls into their hearts and says, listen, there's a field white unto harvest, all I lack is laborers, we say, send somebody else, I'll help fund them. That way I can do what? I can enjoy it myself. I stuck a, I stuck a, um, a, um, a video up on YouTube earlier this week from Biblical Ministries Worldwide. Um, some may have saw it, some probably didn't. I didn't get any comments on it. It's, it's kind of fun for me sometimes with Facebook to, to, to see which ones I get comments off of, which ones I don't, and how many people like certain things. You know, if there's things about talking about how, how in Christ we have victory and all these kind of things, I mean, there's tons of likes. People like, 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 like. But I talk about something that's judgmental, you know, that God's going to judge us or condemn us or, or calling us on. It's rare that I get anybody like it. A lot of people just ignore it, you know. 
And uh, so I got no comments about this one. I don't know how many people saw it. I hope people saw it. But the picture of it is, is that there are two, two people in a coffee shop. It's not necessarily Starbucks, but picture Starbucks if you want to. Okay? And they're, they're getting their, their coffees. You know, when she wants a grande, she wants a large, you know. And, and he jokes with her about, boy, you know, that's going to cost me another buck. Here, you know, and she, so they're joking with one another about the cost of it, and, and they're getting their coffee. And they sit down, and, and as they're talk, talking, they see Paul Sager, who's the director of biblical ministries, come in to get his coffee. And, and so he says, he's saying to her, I, I, I know that guy. And he says, are you, are you Paul Sager? And he says, well, yes, I am. He says, you came to my church for our missions presentation, and da, da, da. So that's the kind of the transition to get him sitting at their table, right? And so they say, well, what do you do? And he says, well, I'm the director of the missions. That means I, I, I point out the visions, and, and I come up with the, the plans for the, the organization, and da, da, da. He says, right now what we're working on is trying to get 6,000 people, I think it's 6,000? 6,000. I think 6,000 people to, to f- help fund the home office $10 a month for just $10 a month. That's about $720,000 that would help support all the support staff. And for now that I'm with Biblical Ministries, I mean, you know, I understand the need of that to have those people back there who are assisting us behind the scenes for that to work. And so, and they said, wow, you know, that just doesn't seem to be as what? Um, exciting, you know, to, to support a home office rather than somebody who's overseas and, you know, administering. And he said, well, let me show you what the missionaries think about it. And so he shows them a little video. So we're having a video of a video, right? about what missionaries think about this and so on and so forth. And so he goes and he talks to them and he says, and so, you know, for t- just $10 a month, um, you know, we have just 6,000 people doing it for $10 a month. That can support the entire home office, which they, just so you know on the side here, that sounds like a lot, but they actually have buildings there where missionaries can come back and find respite there, you know, areas of rest. And so it goes more than just staff. It's all the facilities and takes care of that. Um, but anyways, so this couple sitting there going, well, you know, We'll have to pray about that. You know, ten dollars is you know that's 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 a commitment. You know, and uh, you know, and not we'll have to look at the budget, see how we can fit something like that in. And, um, and so they get up and they go. You know, they greet each other, and and they let you know Paul sees that they left something on the table, and he picks it up and says, "Oh, hey, you 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 left your receipt." And so then they zoom in on the receipt, and the receipt says ten dollars. Okay, um, so you get it. I mean. So many, t- I mean, think about it. So we can say that. We can say, I'm not going to go because I'm going to stay back and I'm going to fund it. But even when funding comes, we say what? Oh, I don't know. That sounds like an awful lot of money. But the reality is everything I own belongs to who? God. It's God's. God gave it to me to be a steward for his glory and for his kingdom's sake. Now, I believe, though, that God's calling a whole lot more people than are going. Okay? I don't know if it's you or not. Okay? But I believe God's doing it. And God, God is, a, is, is a faithful God, and he's still seeking to have his, his emissaries, his children, to go out and to spread his word. And woe be to those who choose the world over the things of God. God says, if you lose your life for my sake, you will what? Find it. But if you seek to find the whole world and gain the whole world, and yet you lose your soul, you've gained nothing at all. Okay? And I'm not saying you're going to lose your salvation. What I'm saying is you're losing a lot of rewards. Okay? So, Abraham was willing to leave his, his country. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 and 9, we read, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelled in the land of promise as, a, as, a, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of him with promise. Secondly, Abraham left his, his family. Now, it's interesting that back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, when we were going through 
Yahweh being the, the uh, Jesus being the Yahweh of salvation or of creation, one of the things we looked at was um, God's um, plan for marriage as well. And we saw that in Genesis chapter 2, it says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be cleaved to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. The idea there in marriage is that you start your own thing. You leave your parents. But you know, it's amazing to me, again, as I do marital counseling and many other things, how many people have not done that. They have not broken that string. Now, it doesn't mean that you totally don't have any conversation with them at all, but it means that they don't what? They don't make the decision. They don't control your life. But when it comes to something like this, where all of a sudden God has called you to leave and go someplace a distance away, those strings all of a sudden are very bring, bring, bring tight. Because all of a sudden grandma and grandpa aren't going to be able to see what? Their grandkids anymore. I mean, it's bad enough not maybe not see their son or daughter, and maybe that's okay to not see their son or daughter, but to not see grandma and or their grandchildren, grandson or granddaughter, now that's a big deal. And it may be that even it may wind up being your great-grandkids because, you know, you know what happens with missionaries many times is they go to a foreign land or the kids grow up in that land, they tend to do what? Stay. And maybe even marry a national. And then all of a sudden the great-grandkids are in that country, and now they don't have any ties at all to come back. And so many times... We say, oh, no, I can't do that. Abraham left his family. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, Do not think that I came into the world to bring peace. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. If God has placed a call in your life, and you know it, and you're not willing to go because you're mom and your dad, you'll give an account for that. If you're not willing to go because you're son and your daughter and you want to make sure that they don't grow up in that certain land, God will hold you accountable for that. Be careful that you're not allowing your family to be an idol. I homeschool. I can pick on homeschoolers. Too many homeschoolers are idolatrous. They've placed their family above God. Now, I understand that God gives us a family, and God wants us to work in the family, but we've got to be careful that our family does not surpass the loyalty that we have to God. Is God able to provide for my family and protect my family wherever he calls me? Yes. He called Abraham to go to a land that he wasn't going to tell him. He was just going to lead him on the way. And Abraham, which we already saw, lived there, how? In a tent. And he traveled till he found a place that could su- support his, his, his animals, his livestock. He never found one. They all died. And, and Abraham and his kids wind up dying of starvation. It didn't happen that way, did it? You know what happened? Exactly what God said. Isn't it? I mean, I know. It's only because it was Abraham. It wouldn't happen for me. Is God a God who's faithful or not? He is. And as we saw with Job, so we see in Abraham. Those who believe God, who take him at his word, God's got a special blessing for them. 
when Abraham lost, or Abraham, Job lost it all. He said, naked I came into the world, naked I'm going to leave. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin. How did it all end? It was replenished. He had more kids than he had before, and he had greater riches than he ever had before. Abraham has been recorded in history as Father Abraham. Not just with the Jews, but with Christians. And not just with Jews and Christians, but guess what? Even Muslims. Islam refers to Abraham as Father Abraham. Isn't that amazing? God said you're going to be the father of what? Many nations. Hmm. Could God be true? God could be true. Abraham left his country. He left his family. He left his religious heritage. Keep your finger in Genesis 12. Go back to Joshua 24. Joshua chapter 24. Joshua is is getting ready to give his final charge to Israel. And um, and the children of Israel are in this um, land which was pagan and heathenistic, and yet they have not exterminated all of the heathens from the land. And so he's challenging them um, what will happen and what they need to do. And he goes all the way back to Father Abraham to to begin to paint the picture. In verse 2, beginning of verse 2, 24, says, And Joshua said to all the people, Thus saith the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim of Israel, Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, Avraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served what? Other gods. Now, isn't this interesting? Abraham's family, Avram's family, growing up, was not Christian. Now, I understand that weren't Christians back then anyway, okay? But you get what I'm referring to. They weren't a God-fearing people. They were part of the people who would have been at the Tower of Babel. Remember, they're living during the days of Noah. They're, they're part of the people who have who've turned away from the God of Noah. I think I find that extremely incredible. You've got eight, eight, count them, eight. Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives, eight people who were still living on the earth who got off of that ark. And everybody, the news, the news agencies of the day are what? They're poo-pooing it. You know, ah, you know, they say that, but you know, we, we have evidence to say that they're just a bunch of crock. You know, just, that's not true, whatever. And yet everybody is a descendant of who? From Noah and his sons. I mean, and we can clearly, we go through the chronology, and we know that Terah and Avraham, Avram are descendants from Shem, from Noah. Okay? And so here we are. These are Shemites. Semitics, that's where the word Semites come from. It's actually from Shemites. Okay? They're, they're from that, that grouping. They're, they're Semitic. Okay? And so here we have these Shemites who are serving other gods beyond the river. Verse 3. Then I took your father, Abraham, from the other side of the river, led him throughout all the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants from him. Do you remember... And if you were saved as a child, you probably don't. But if you were saved as an adult, do you remember the day when you served other gods on the other side of the river? Or, in my case, on the other side of the tracks? I know what it's like to be on the other side of the river tracks. I lived there. I still struggle with the, the, the strings 
from that track that, that, that continue to plague me 30, 40 years later. I'm going to be 50 this year. 50. Yeah, I know, it's young to you, buddy. I'm still just a young whippersnapper. For other you, 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 some of you, you're probably, when I was your age and I was a teenager, thinking, that is ancient, dude. I mean, how is the guy still walking, you know? I'm as fit, as fit as I was when I was 18 years old. Okay, so I'm lying. So, anyways, but I wasn't saved until I was 23. That's 27 years ago, almost, okay? I DJed. Music was my life. My kids get a kick out of, we go, I'm the age of the oldies, you know? What a curse. And my kids get a kick. I, I had to leave. Matt and I went to Moe's two weeks ago. I had to leave. We ate our stuff. I got to go. We got to get out of here. What are they playing? They're playing my trash. And I know every word of that trash, even though I haven't heard it for 30 years. I know what it's like to be in that idolatrous world, in the world where I served other gods. Now, my mom and dad took us to church every Sunday. That doesn't mean I embraced it. I understood it all, but I didn't know God. Some of you didn't even grow up in church. You really grew up in the world. But God calls us from that and to go forth. Clearly, we're not spending all this time on Abraham and his life, but Abraham was not a perfect individual. He was willing to allow his wife to be called his sister, which she was. There's a technicality there. She was, a step, she was his stepsister. Okay? And so he wasn't fully lying, but he was lying because he was trying to protect his own scalp. And he was willing for his wife to be taken away as a slave to protect his own skin. Father Abraham, man of faith. What a great guy. Okay? Aren't you glad that God allows those things in the Bible to let you know that there's no temptations overtaken you, but such is common to man? And isn't it amazing that these people who are called men of faith still struggled? We talked about Job and his struggling with pride last week. Here we have Abraham. He's not a perfect man. But God took this guy from, from the other side of the tracks, from the other side of the river, as it would be in his day, to use him for a great purpose. But the only way it was going to be accomplished is if Abraham, by faith, believed God and then obeyed. Because God said, in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. God wants to use you, I firmly believe this, as a blessing, not for you, but for everybody else about you. That's called missions. And your mission, your missions, your mission field may be your neighborhood. It may be your neighborhood. And God's not going to ask you to leave your home, your family, your lifestyle. It may be that he wants you to use that home, that family, that lifestyle as a way of opening up the fields to his glory. That means you've got to be able to willing to use those things and not just be so closely focused on yourself. But it may be that he wants you to, to move. It may be that he wants you to be willing to leave it all. To the rich young ruler who came and asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit everlasting life? Jesus said, you know the commandments, what are they? And so he, he goes through some of the, the Ten Commandments, and, 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 and the guy says, what? Well, I've done all those. You know, I've, I've obeyed my mom and dad. 
you know, I've honored my mom and dad from the time I was born. I've never stealed. I've never did all these things. And the guy's a liar anyway. I mean, I'm sure Jesus would have shown him the places, the times when he, dis, he dishonored his mom and dad. But Jesus was nice, and he was courteous, and he didn't do all that stuff. He just asked him one more question, he, or one more statement. He says, now go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then you'll have riches in heaven. And that rich young ruler walked away sad. Why? Because he had a lot, and he loved his riches more than he loved God. And those other things that Jesus brought up were the last six of the commandments. Those are the love your neighbor as yourself commandments. The first four, you should have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol in the form of anything, whether in heavens above or earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not use the name of the Lord your God in vain and remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Or all those refer to your love for God. Jesus never referred to those. All he did was bring him right to the point of his idol. And his idol was his money. He says, no, go sell it all. You want, you, want, you want to get there? You go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then follow me. And the guy realized, I'm not willing to do that. What about you? Abraham was willing to leave everything. To follow a God that he didn't know before he was called. Think about it. He didn't grow up in the faith. And so God calls somebody who is unregenerate, if you would, who is a heathen, who served other gods. And Abraham said what? I'm on my way. I'm on my way. He didn't stumble. He didn't waver. We're told that he got up and he departed his country and left to follow so that he could be a blessing to the nations. There are people lost and dying throughout the world and throughout this community. All they need is someone to get up off of their duff and take time to minister to them and to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. But we're more, con- more content to play we, to watch football games. And I'm picking on myself here. Get it? I love we. And the Steelers are playing tonight in the AFC Championship game. Okay? But we have care group in my house, in which we will have, and it's not a, a football care group. Okay? My, fam- my, my, fam- my distant family, they can't get this one. You know, people on Facebook, some of the folks don't get it. You know, how can you do that? Because this is my priority. Church, serving God is my priority. I love the Steelers. You know, I bleed black and gold. But God takes priority over that. What are you willing to leave? Now, we get into the prophetic side. That was the practical side. The prophetic side is seeing, then, the seed of Abraham. Because as we read from Galatians chapter 3, in Galatians chapter 3, we see that Jesus Christ is referred to as the seed of Abraham. And so Christ is the seed of Abraham. And in um, Genesis 22, 15 to 18, you can turn there if you're there and you can get there faster, but I'll read it right here from the screen. But if you want to go and check it out. This is in the, the context of um, Abraham being told, and we're going to look at the context in two weeks from now, um, because Christ is the lamb who was going to be slain. Um, this is in the context of, of Abraham being told to offer up Isaac, your son, the one whom you love, your only son, the one whom you love, right? And so, so Abraham takes Isaac up to the Mount Moriah, to the mountain which God was going to show him, and they go and he's going to, he's going to sacrifice him. And just as Abraham's ready to sacrifice Isaac like God has asked him to do, 
God sends the angel of Yahweh, I think the personification again of Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnation of Christ, comes and says, stop, stop, stop. Okay? Um, you don't have to do it because now we know this. Okay? And so we come into verse 15, okay, where we read then, the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, says Yahweh, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants. It sounds a whole lot like Genesis chapter 12, doesn't it? What God promised Abraham he was going to do. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Back in Genesis chapter 12, we read, In you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Here we're told it's in your seed that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, Paul said, back in Galatians chapter 3, do you remember that when when Steve was reading it? Uh, Paul says, he doesn't say seeds as of many, but rather he says seed as of one. And and we're told that that seed of of Abraham in which all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed is Jesus Christ himself. That he is that seed of Abraham. And so we're told now that Abraham and his seed where the promise is made, he does not say into seeds as as many, but as a one, into your seed who is Christ. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ. And that is that before the Mosaic law was given, that God was already given the indicators toward the mystery of Christ's coming, and that he would be outside of the Mosaic law. And that the blessing that God was going to bless the world with was not going to be through the Mosaic Law, but was going to be superpassing, if you would, the, the, um, the Law of Moses, the Mosaic Law. And so, those who then come to God through Christ, we are told, then are the what? The seed of Abraham. And so, Christ is the seed of Abraham. He is the one who is going to be this one who is going to fulfill all this. But we're secondly told then, that in that same passage in Galatians chapter 3, that those who come to Christ by faith are what? Are the seeds of Abraham. Okay, And so it's really kind of fun. And we become the seed of Abraham, as I stated, by, by faith. In Galatians chapter 3, I'm going to read that again, which was read this morning. It says Verse 7 to 9 says, Therefore know that only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. So those who are of faith, those who come by faith to God, are considered to be part of the seed of Abraham. And we receive then the same blessing that Abraham was going to be blessed with. That's pretty cool stuff. And so we're told in the book of Romans that it's not by circumcision, but rather it's by faith. Because Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so we, by faith, in the plan and grace of God, have that same blessing appropriated to us. Because Abraham did not have to adhere to a code of law in order to be saved and redeemed. He merely had to believe. God said, follow me, believe me, trust me. Abraham said, I'm there, God. I don't get it all. I'd like to know the end, but I'm with you. 
and I'm, I'm following after you. And that has now been recorded forever. As the source of our redemption, the source of our salvation. Some of you have never received that. Hopefully all of you have. But statistically speaking, probably somebody here hasn't by faith come to Jesus Christ. Again, I went to church for 23 years. I can't tell you I went every Sunday. I understood a couple of weeks ago, about a month and a half ago now, that I had chicken pox and, and I, there was a couple Sundays that I didn't go. Okay? But we lived up, up north. We lived in the snow. Church didn't close because of snow. You know, you know we had, a couple of weeks ago we had an inch and so you know, we, we, didn't, we didn't do things. You know? Up north we have 9, 12 inches and we walk. We may not be able to drive there, but we walk. We get to church. We go up a hill and down a hill. I, mean, I lived in Pittsburgh, so literally it was uphill both ways. Okay? And, and, and so, and so the, the joke is, you know, you walked in the snow uphill both ways. We really did. But we would do that. Things weren't canceled. I mean, I remember one year having sunrise service outside. We had outdoor sunrise service with snow on the ground. I mean, it was bitter cold. But we had our sunrise service outside. That was just what we did. So I grew up in that. But I didn't know God. I knew all about him, but I never accepted him by faith. When I was asked, when I was 23 years old, if I was going to heaven, my answer was, or if I was saved, if I'm going to heaven, if anybody's saved, anybody's going to heaven, it's got to be me. I was active in the church. I, I, I preached on youth services. I helped my dad with the treasury work. Da, 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 da. I, 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 and it was all about who? Me. And it wasn't about him. And when I came to realize that my righteousness were nothing but filthy rags in comparison and contrast to the righteousness of God, and God allowed me to sin against my own standards. We don't need to go there. But when I realized that I couldn't live to Bob's own standards, I realized I could never live to God's standards. In Romans chapter 2, in Romans chapter 3 and 4, became very real. And I understood the grace of God. And that it was by faith that I was going to be saved. Not by my own works. I don't know you all. You may have grown up in a Christian home and you're just assuming the fact that you get it by inheritance. Guess what? You don't. It is by faith to each one who believes just as our father Abraham believed and it was counted to him for righteousness. And I've got to believe that those who truly believe, when God calls them, that they will respond. So, it's by, by faith that we are there. But what I find is interesting, is even beyond that, is that the purpose, and, and I told you about Romans 4, is the purpose of being that seed. It's not for myself. Again, it says Abraham. Why was God calling Abraham? So he could knock Abraham's socks off with blessings? No. No. I mean, that, that's a derivative. That's a byproduct. Abraham was going to see God work in, in awesome ways that he would have never seen if he stayed in Ur. But ultimately, it was that through him, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Do you get it? It's just like we were talking about in Sunday school. For those who were here, we were talking about the gifts of God. What's the purpose of God, God giving us gifts? 
Is it for draw attention to myself and to, to knock my socks off with blessings from God? It's to edify the body. It's for the good of the body. When God gives me a gift, and I believe he gave me the gift of teaching, whether you think so or not, I don't, it doesn't matter. That's why I'm doing this. I'm submitting to, to God's work. This is not something, if you'd have seen me years ago, and even now, public speaking is not my desire. I mean, it's not what I want to do, but I believe that's what God called me to do and what God gives me to do, and so I do it, okay? Because I, I love to see God use me in, in a way of ministering to other people. And so my gift is not to draw attention to myself, and I, I, and I hate that sometimes, that I'm standing up front doing this. Sometimes it would be nice if I was in the back and doing it, but teaching, it's, it's more important to be demonstrative in front. It's to not draw attention to myself, but to draw attention to the God that I serve and who wants you to love him and serve him. Does that make sense? God called Abram, and God calls us. Not so we can draw attention to ourselves, and, and not so that we can be, hey, the missionary who's coming back. Oh, let's do something for the missionary. Most missionaries hate that. Because, and if they're true, they hate it. Because the attention they want is not to themselves. The attention they want is to the, to the Lord. And all they are is simple vessels whom God has called, and they've submitted to it. And they want to give God the glory for the work that God is doing through them. And so like when Marsha was talking about testimony time and seeing the, the children that we've seen come to know him as, as a Savior through the Good News Clubs. I mean, it was cool to see two kids get saved. On I try to talk them out of it. I always try to talk kids out of it. I mean, I, I don't want them to say a prayer and trust in a prayer. And so, I mean, I start out, you know, what do you know? You know, and these two kids, I had four come back. Two knew it. They, I mean, they, they were ready. They were there. They were chomping at the bit. They wanted to get saved. They wanted to, and I said, well, I'm not talking about just, you know, fire insurance here. I said, do you, do you want to live for Jesus? Are you willing to give your life to Jesus and, 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 and serve him? Yes, that's what we want to do. I wonder how many adults would have said yes if someone said to them, no, I'm telling you, it's not just fire insurance. I'm telling you that by saying yes right now, by giving your life to Jesus, you really are giving your life to Jesus, and you're willing to go to Timbuktu and leave your family and everything else in order to serve him. Are you willing to do that? How many, how many adults would have said yes? Sign me up. I'm there. I'm ready to get on the, on the ship with my coffin to go to Africa to a bunch of headhunters who are going to kill me. Not many are going to do that, are they? But you know what? Some of those tribes in Africa, you know how they were reached? Because literally, years ago now, there were missionaries who got on the boat with their coffins. And they took their coffins with them to the village. Now, this is after two gener- two two groups of missionaries had already been killed. The third one went in knowing that they were as good as dead and that they were going to sow the seeds of their life into, into that village so that eventually that village would be saved for Jesus Christ. Those were the missionaries who got the opportunity to see the village get saved. When the village realized that they came knowing that they were going to die, and that they were willing to die for Jesus, the village realized there was something worth dying for. So therefore, there was something worth living for. And the village got saved. It's powerful stuff. But we're not willing to leave our wees. We're not willing to leave cable internet, cable TV, maybe the luxury of central air. Missionaries we know down in Argentina I just saw on Facebook, they're just getting air conditioning. They've been there for 20-something years. Now, December, this is the hot time of the season for them. So they're thrilled. I mean, they're, you know, they're on Facebook saying, wow, this is, wow, you know, this is exciting. They got air conditioning. 
But for 20-something years, they were willing to live there to minister to people without the air conditioning so that they could be a blessing to other people, so they could distribute the good news of Jesus Christ. God has called us to be a blessing to other people. That's just not to take them sugar so they can make their cookies. That's so you can give them the good news of Jesus Christ so they can have eternal life with him. Your neighbor, if they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, is going to die and go to hell. Do you know that? Do you really know that? Do you really believe that? Do you really care? No, I really don't care. I mean, honest. Apart in my flesh, I don't care. In, my, in Bob's flesh, I really don't care. But in my spirit, the love of Christ constrains me and convicts me of their needs. And therefore, knowing the terror of God, I persuade men. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 is all about. And so we are called to be ambassadors of reconciliation, ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Just as Abraham was called, I believe so you are called. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have a calling in your life. The Great Commission, you can all tell me it. Go therefore and what? Baptize all nations, right? And teach them whatsoever things I have taught you, right? Go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them the things that I've taught you. That's a great commission. Go make disciples. You know that. Have you gone? You know what's really interesting about that great commission? When it says go, it's not the word go. It's an aorist participle. What it really says is, having been sent, having been sent, make disciples by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them the things that I've taught you. The command is make disciples. But that first participle is having been sent. Having been sent, that doesn't make sense. It sure does. Because before that, in the upper room, Jesus said to the disciples, My peace I leave with you, not as the world give I unto you, but as the Father has given to me, so I give to you. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. He had already sent them. I already told them what their task was. But Peter said, I'm going fishing. And the other disciples said, what? We're going with you. And so Jesus came to them on the, on the shore. And then he went back to Jerusalem with them, and he gave them that final charge. Having been sent, I already sent you. Go do it. Go do it. Two months from now, we're going to have a missions conference. I don't think we need a missions conference to burden our hearts for missions. I don't think we need to have special speakers coming in to tug at the heartstrings or to convict us that there's a need. If we would just look with the eyes of Christ, we would know. Jesus Christ is the seed of Abraham. And as followers of him, you are seeds of Abraham by faith, to be a blessing. So, are you a part of the seed of Abraham? First and foremost, have you by faith come to Jesus Christ? Secondly, are you being a blessing to those about you? You're the seed, a seed sower in order that you might become, in order that others might become heirs of God by faith. 
as seeds of Abraham? And then finally then, are you willing to follow God's call? What are you willing to do? Let's pray, and then we're going to sing, Make Me a Blessing. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your goodness to us. You alone are God. You alone are the Holy One. You alone are the one who has breathed into us the breath of life, and you are the, alone are the one who protects us and provides for us as we go. Lord, we know that your desire for us as seeds of Abraham and as joint heirs of Christ is to be emissaries, ambassadors of your grace. That others would be able to experience the peace with God that you've allowed us to experience. Lord, I pray for those who may be here today, young, old, in between, who, who may not know you by faith, who may know all about you, but not truly have the relationship with you, who have not, as Abraham has said, I'm willing, and got up and left and followed you. Lord, I pray that that you would draw them to yourself. Lord, for those who are your children, who still are dragging feet, Lord, I pray that you would convict them and encourage them by the strength of your Holy Spirit and the power of your word. Lord, that you would cause us to be a body of missionaries in this community, our Jerusalem and Judea, spreading into our Samaria and then finally into the uttermost part of the world. Lord, that we would see our calling to serve you and not the world. Lord, help us not to trust in the resources of this world, but in the resources of your Holy Spirit. Be glorified, Lord, in and through us. In Jesus we pray. Amen.